What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of The Rookies. This episode is with my friend, Brett Messer. Brett is a entrepreneur in the state of Maine. He owns a business that is in, uh, involved with cannabis and uh, the tobacco industry. Um, this He's also a professional paintball player for Los Angeles Infamous, who we played against at the Las Vegas Open. Uh, it's definitely a great match. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. This episode is not going to be your typical, hey, Brett, how did you get started playing paintball episode? We cover a wide range of topics here, everything from business to entrepreneurship to how this coronavirus is affecting his business and small business. Um, We talk about different credit cards you can take advantage of to fly around the country, kind of how the the professionals do it, uh, fly all around the world. We talk NXL Europe. We talk NXL Pro Division local divisions, um, divisional paintball in general, uh, a little bit about Brett's background in paintball, a little bit about my background in paintball. But this is just, I thought, a really a really interesting episode. Uh, I really enjoyed having Brett on. So if you're interested in world news, um, the state of how things are right now uh, through the mind of a small business owner, what, what he's seeing in, in his life and things like that, I think this is a great episode. Uh, shout out to all of our sponsors, Dive, Valken, New Balance, um, Ninja Paintball, uh, basically everyone helping us play the game. If uh, you out there are talented with music or making intros, if anyone wants to link up and help me make one for this podcast, that would be awesome. Uh, we can we can collab on that, get you, you know some notoriety, uh, something going there. So please reach out. But I had a great time. Really appreciate Brett coming on, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Thanks. All right, we are live with Brett Messer. Brett, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot, dude. Just got done work for the week and uh, feeling pretty, feeling pretty good. Excited for the weekend. Yeah, same. It's supposed to be. Uh, it's been raining here most of the time in, in Mass. We're up in New England here, and but tomorrow's supposed to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Have um, you always lived in Mass? I haven't. So I'm originally from Cleveland. Uh, so I started out in Cleveland and then I ended up moving. This is the fifth state I've lived in. So I lived in Cleveland and then I lived in Columbus, Ohio. Then I lived in Kentucky. And then from Kentucky, I went to Indiana and then I went back to Louisville, Kentucky. From there, I went to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was there for like three months and then I got transferred. I was working with Tesla Motors, transferred back to Columbus, Ohio. And then my girlfriend got a job here in Boston and she's like, Hey, you can come to Boston if you want to. And I was like, uh, yeah, I might as well. Um, so I got a new job out here with a super corporate firm. So I could get my weekends back and moved to Boston. And I've been here about a year and seven months. Nice. So that's how you linked up with the level guys because you lived there for a while. Yeah. Basically my whole life, all those guys have been playing together for, um, since I was like 16 years old, I played with several of them in college and all through our divisional days and stuff like that. It, even on the same team, different teams, kind of, you know, that goes, you play here, you play there, but always kind of with some of the core guys. So I know some of the guys on that team are originally DC all-stars because I played against yeah. those guys a lot. Yeah, we got bandit. Yeah, exactly. We we dueled with them a lot in division two and, and in semi-pro as well. Um, are, are there other teams that kind of came together to make that team or is, is it just a couple of those guys I know and then random guys? Yeah, I would say it's mostly the core and then the additions would be like myself who didn't play on that D2 team and, uh, Matt Askren who came on, he came from Trey, my gun outlaws, um, okay. to the semi-pro line. So, uh, yeah, but it's been basically the same core five to six players, um, 
throughout like division four. It was funny after we played you guys, some of my guys on the team were like, those guys shoot pretty well in the break. I'm like, dude, I could have told you that they'd show yeah. well on the break in division two and division one. Like I told you, I knew the guys. Yeah, dude, it's funny. So me and Harrison Fry were playing one-on-ones for weeks leading up to that um, at Boston Paintball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, yeah, you came up there once or twice, but it's a lot farther for you, I think. Uh, but Harrison I used to play like two days a week there in the wintertime and like prof- my professional life just doesn't allow for that to happen anymore. But like when I was coming up in divisional D4, D3, D2, semi-pro, it was like Wednesday and Friday nights there. It really? was sick. How far yeah. drive is that for you? It's an hour and a half. So like, okay. it's not great, but when you're self-employed, you can bounce out, you know, get in early, leave at four, you know, get down to Boston paintball for five 30 home by, you know, 11 or 11 30 at night. It's not, it's not too bad. I mean, when you have a goal and, you know, at the time, uh, Matt Kilbashi and Kyle Nicolo would always meet me there. And okay, so it's like, yeah. And so we're boys and that's a lot of what like built our bond on the bandits was like guys were just working their ass off to make it, you know, whether it was like guys working their balls off at work to, you know, be able to pay their bills to be on the team or guys were just like constantly grinding at the field. Like it was just such a common thread where we were all, you know, committed to the mission. So that was part of it for me was the fact that Matt and Kyle always wanted to meet me there and play too. I was like, well, shit. Yeah. I'll drive to VP and you. Yeah, dude, it's always better when you have people to drill with. Because, um, like, yeah, so leading up, it was just me and Harrison and then maybe one or two other random people there. Uh, like, there was some D4 guys. Like, my friend Drew would come up uh, and a couple of his guys. But the very first point against you guys, I go head-to-head with Harrison the Snake. And for about – we were waiting on, on our gear, right? So for about three to four weeks prior to Vegas, I didn't have – my gun. So I was using like rental markers or like random equipment I could piece together for the practices. So Harrison was like smoking me in these one-on-ones, right? Cause I'm shooting the hill with like an EMAC and he's got, you know, the, obviously the infamous CS2 first point and I'm able to come down and I stab him on the inside. And I was like, hell yeah, dude, you've been beating me for weeks of one-on-ones. I finally got you back when it counts. <laughs> so yeah. That, that was, was a nice fun. move. Yeah. Thank I mean, you. Harrison's like, Okay, so I got to tell you, I, I do tell this story from time to time. I'll give you the short version, but I found Harrison Fry. Hey, give, give the long version, man. Give uh, the long version. We got tons uh, of time. All right, so um, back, and it's funny, Anthony Vitale actually posted a picture this week of the Combine, I think, where I met Harrison. So the old one. Um, I saw, like, I thought that was recent, and then I see, like, picture, like, Bernaccio and, like, a smart parts jersey. I'm like, okay, that's a very old photo. <laughs> exactly. So that was, like, 2008. That was the Combine in 2008. And I played on AXBL Sodas Predators, and we had just gotten an MXL team, Cicero Storm, as like a feeder team. And so we were scouting to fill that entire roster with like 15 guys and add a few guys to the AXBL team. And I saw Harrison at the trial, and he was just like young and a natural. So I picked him up for Cicero Storm. And so that was like the first X-Ball team he was on. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so that's my Harrison Fry story. But I, So I've, I've been a fan for a long time. I love the kid. Um, and it, he's awesome as a teammate. I was obviously instrumental in getting him onto the team. Um, you know, being a former teammate on Infa- like getting him on infamous. And yeah, he's your boy. So exactly. And so I, that's something I pushed for since I got on the team, um, you know, worked very closely with Travis and Harrison to make that happen. And because it meant a lot to me personally, but also because I believe so much in his work ethic and like, he makes me a better paintball player. Like, makes me do more drills, makes me go out and do one more one-on-one. 
Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, he does, dude. I can attest to that. He he will not stop playing. <laughs> oh, dude, he's so mad at me right now because I haven't played paintball like since we went on lockdown. And part Which, of it's because like the how can field you be that mad though. Um, it's like friend comp- competition mad. Like he's not like mad mad, but yeah. you know he's giving me a lot of shit about not coming to the field and um. And I get it, like, you know, he's a professional playing at the highest level and trying to attain another level, and I'm right on board with him, but my professional life is also important to me, and um, and paintball is as well, but uh, right now where I know I'm not going to have another tournament until possibly September, it's like, you know, I'm going to use these lockdown weeks to focus on work, and then that way when we come off lockdown, I can go right, shift back into paintball, you know, full bore, two, three days a week like I normally do. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Because nobody's playing right now, like around the country. Like, if the Russian Legion, who has a private facility, is not playing, then you know, you know, most people are not playing paintball. Because I know everything in Boston is closed. Is everything in Maine closed too? Uh yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, every state has these different classifications for like essential businesses. But so it's weird. Like my smoke shop in Maine is closed, and the one in Mass is open. Uh, excuse me, vice versa. The one in Mass is closed. The one in Maine's open. So you have these little differences. But I think paintball in general in most states is closed. I know uh, I'm friends with Ross, uh, Ross the boss, boss paintball in New York, um, and he was able to actually reopen. Um, and and Ross is a paintball guy. He's a great guy. I don't know if you know him. No, um, I don't. Haven't heard of him. Oh, he's the man, dude. He's just, he's like a lifer when it comes to paintball. He's, you know, he owns a field, he makes paint, he manufactures products. He's made all these axe parts and vanquish oh, parts nice. over the years. He, he's a factory technician for empire, Okay, um, but you know, his livelihood is from paintball yeah. and he, you know, he's one of those guys like me that's like ultra concerned with this like government lockdown shutdown stuff, because as I'm sure you and I agree, like paintball is a game that you could play safely with distance. like. You know, yeah, staging might be a little weird. You know, you got to space out, but you know, the game of paintball can very safely be played. So yeah, I mean, you know, other than the five guys on the box next to each other, but that's about. And you're wearing masks, I guess, not really a ventilator mask or anything that would protect you, but yeah, I think it's just about how much you're willing to um, risk. I was reading an article today that 50 percent of the deaths in Europe are in Europe in Europe are in nursing homes, um, and it's like so how how bad is it really if you know those people are the most at risk of the population and that's half of the deaths you know is it as bad as we think that kind of stuff it's, it's the same situation in maine actually as well um really right about right about 50 percent uh is is elderly people like in care facilities mm-hmm. um and then the remainder is you know you know everybody else but yeah the stats like yeah, they really tell the story in some places, but it does seem like, you know, the respiratory thing affects the the at-risk population. I think they refer to it as like your immunocompromised and the elderly is like the real high risk. And then everybody else, it seems like, you know, all these tests are coming out now where they just did a thing in Chelsea, Mass the other day where they just tested 200 people on the street and 30% of them already had coronavirus antibodies, which point to them having already had it. And if that many people like never had symptoms, never needed to, you know, see a doctor and they were just kind of sick, like that's, you know, that's, that's, I think what's been the whole problem with this whole thing is like, it's based entirely around fear and like overreaction rather than science and, 
you know, I'm all for like taking action to prevent people dying for no reason, but it seems like that hasn't really been the case in a lot of places. Yeah. Or the action's been taken too late. Um, like the immigration ban that went in last week, it's like, that's, that's a bit behind the curve for me. I, it doesn't affect me as much as it would you. Cause I'm just an employee. I'm working remote. Um, yeah, I can't go to restaurants and bars. Yeah. I can't play paintball, but like overall my life is, you know, not hugely negatively affected. Um, whereas other people like small business owners, um, like yourself, your one shop has to close. That's a pretty big effect. It, it is. And you know, it sucks. Like we basically had to lay our employees off immediately. So we have some management staff and we have some hourly staff that's, you know, and it, we had to make a hard decision when this happened of, you know, we're going to keep, we're going to lay off our hourly store clerks in favor of keeping on our salaried managers, you know, and, and making sure they have a defined future. And that's a hard decision to make. Yeah. But if it went on for too long, I mean, maybe we'd even have to lay them off. Cause I mean, even, you know, it, when you're run a business, you never want to have too much cash. Like that's not a good business decision. That's like business one-on-one. You want to use cash to make more cash. So, you know, no business has more than three to six months of emergency savings. So if all of a sudden your business is closed and you're expected to, to pay payroll for people, it's like, it can be very challenging. So, you know, we made the decision to lay off hourly employees and keep on our, our salary management, which, you know, we're happy with that decision. We've applied for the payroll protection act. And yeah, you probably seen, I was, I, I've been frustrated because they gave a lot of that money to really big businesses. And like, technically they're classified as, as small businesses because they have under 500 employees, but in per reality, like, right? um, I don't think it's per location. I think it's per entity, but what these companies do is like, you know, my business gets to 400 employees. I just start another company. Right. You know, even though it's maybe the same. Um, so people play those kind of games all the time. So, I mean, to me, I was debating with somebody about this so long the other day. And it's like a company, a hotel in New York that does $1.5 billion a year in sales, whether they have 100 employees or 499 employees, like that's not a, a small business. No, that's a huge company. Exactly. And I don't think any American, like any average normal American would think, a company doing $1.5 billion a year in sales, whether they have one employee or 499 is small. So for those people to, to vie for the same pool of money as like your mom and pop bakery on main street, it's just not fair. Like, right. you know, for example, like, you know, we missed out on the first round of funding in the payroll protection program because I, I, I submitted the further loan on day one and my payroll. So that I, you know, Bank of America, a couple of days later, sends me the loan requirements. I, I send those to my, my payroll company. They send me back the documents. I set, submit them. They weren't happy with them. So then we went back and forth for like a week, solidifying the documents that they wanted. And throughout the course of that, the PPP program ran out of money. And so then I get a note from Bank of America. Hey, the program's out of money. If they fund it with more money, like your application is already in, don't worry about it. But right now, there's nothing for you. So, you know, we weren't applying for a lot, like we're applying for $30,000, like, and this is literally just so we can rehire employees and pay them for two and a half months, whether we're open or not. Um, and that's like what the whole program's for. And if you use the money for that, you don't have to repay it. So, you know, that was our intention was we'll get this money, 
we'll rehire employees for our closed store. And like, so it's really disappointing to see, you know, I know like a big one that hit the news this week is that Harvard got $10 million. Yeah. And, yeah, and it was like 8.1 and they have 40 billion in the endowment. Right. Which is basically a savings account. Um, so, I mean, it's invested, but essentially to, you know, in layman's terms, it's a savings account. So, uh, but I will say I did a little research on that and that's not coming from the same pool as small businesses. They set aside like, you know, 350 billion for small business and they set aside something like 12 and a half billion for higher education. Yeah. So while I do agree that Harvard still shouldn't be pulling from that pool when they have that endowment, um, you know, it wasn't, they weren't competing with small business. So, you know, companies like airlines with 50,000 employees or whatever, they're, they're not competing with small business places like Walmart, you know, they've got their own pool of money that they're pulling from, but it's just, you know, yes, they do have to choose a defining characteristic and they chose 500 employees. So are those small businesses by the definition? Yes. But like, are there massive corporations that are doing 500 million a year, a billion dollars a year, like tons of money in sales? And, and the thing is, is why it's not fair is because those companies have resources. They have full-time bookkeepers, they have accountants, they have lawyers, and these are full-time staff people whose only job at these times were to make sure that they got this money. And, you know, like I, I don't have the smallest business. I have a you know pretty decent sized small business. Um, and, you know, I still, I don't have that in-house staff. I've got to reach out to my payroll company, my bookkeeper, my accountant to get assistance to file this stuff. And, you know, think about somebody like I've got, like I said, 27 employees look at somebody who it's just maybe them and their wife or, yeah. you know, so I think, I think you actually said that before we got started. So maybe yeah. I know, I know you're working in the, uh, in the, the legal marijuana business now, but maybe tell, tell the people a little bit about what your business is and how you kind of operate, um, and some, um, some background so they know uh, what we're talking about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, we got, I got, we had such a spirited conversation before this started. I kind of forgot it just kind of yeah. blended together. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, uh, I own a couple of businesses. One of them's a smoke shop business. Um, it's not cannabis related. We do service, uh, you know, cannabis users. Um, you know, we sell pipes, papers, bongs, blunts, basically it's, a, you know, it's a head shop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's, it's geared toward that market, but it is under tobacco licensing. So there's no cannabis sold there. Uh, in 2020, we definitely sell like hemp, you know, smokable hemp flour and different CBD products and stuff. Uh, but our, the primary core of our business is American made glass. We don't sell any, you know, Chinese, Indian and nothing against those countries. I love, you know, doing business there, but just in terms of this business that I have, we, and we, you know, we sell like batteries made in China, but in terms of our glass, it's a whole American made thing, um, which is kind of, it's a thing in our industry. So, um, that's a good thing to have. Um, especially yeah, yeah. I think people in Maine really like that specifically, uh, but people everywhere should. Yeah. And my wife's a glass blower. Um, we kind of, she got into that at the same time we got into opening the store. It was something we always wanted to do in college was have a head shop. And so it was a cool thing that, that we did. And she did like learning to blow glass. So that part of it's important to us, but you know, we got seven or eight employees with that business in two locations. Um, one in Maine and one at Saco Maine and Waltham, Massachusetts. And, um, you know, right now our Massachusetts location is completely closed and it has been for about a month. Um, it's going to stay closed until at least the first week of May. And, you know, Massachusetts is actually a hairy situation. Um, you know, you're there, so you, I'm sure you're well aware. Um, you know, Massachusetts is one of the harder hit places in the country. 
Yeah, um, it's uh, it's actually it's greatly affected me personally because so I work in. Um, I know earlier I said I didn't, but in terms of my business life, like the market that I work in is construction. Um, and construction has essentially stopped. So like one of my clients, for example, lost about $6 million worth of work in four days. Uh, so it's like how they no longer need my services because they've just lost all of their work. So now I've just essentially lost a whole client. I've lost a whole book of business. Um, luckily I'm a salaried employee. So like, well, yeah, that might, it does kind of hurt in the immediate, like hopefully it won't hurt me in the long term when things bounce back. But this is going to be definitely a rough uh, quarter, which is kind of how we measure things in the sales world. Um, <laughs> so, well, people don't realize that there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, with any economic recession, which this is, you know, people may not mm-hmm. be calling it that yet. But if you look at the value our stock market has lost and you look at the reduction in consumer confidence, um, you know, and that's the big thing is like, there's going to be a lack of consumer confidence moving forward. So people are going to be, you know, trying to build up savings again and not spending money on like in your world, like uh, remodeling their house or something like, yeah. you know, it, it goes right back to 2009, 2010. And that was like dark days for paintball right after the housing bubble burst. And people just, there's no consumer confidence at all. And yeah. we're going to see that again. And hopefully it's short, short lived, but there is certainly going to be an economic recession um, as part of all of this because, you know, for that reason, mostly is consumer confidence. Yeah. I, we were, I was uh, talking with my friend Tyler, um, thinking about back to those like 08, 09, 2010 days, the divisional teams in paintball after that recession like dropped off, which is is rough right now because the NXL um, is the biggest it's ever been. I think it's paintball right now in the terms of competitive aspect is the most competitive it's the best it's ever been in terms of like what they put on at a, an event. Um, you know, they have music, they have food, beer, uh, you know, that it's just a good, it's a good time. It's set up well. It runs well. Um, they keep getting more and more teams. So it's obviously trending well, but now a lot of people are laid off and, you know, furloughed. The last thing you're going to be spending money on is playing the NXL. Um, well, that was a really big thing. Um, you know, that Tom, that when I talked to him the other day, uh, that was a huge thing he was talking about. It's like, it's not just a matter of if Virginia says we can have this next tournament. Like, we actually have to make a business decision on is there a lot of risk in even trying to have this tournament? And what time, you know, can we get teams there, whether it's losing the international teams or people not having money to spend? So that's like, that's a real concern for them as a business. And people don't, you know, Paintball people are so quick to have like these knee jerk decision or reactions on Facebook and they do it for shock value to say something ridiculous about the NXL. But, you know, at the end of the day, they are our business and nobody's getting rich off the NXL. You know, the two owners of the NXL are Randy and Bart and those guys are rich already. Like they're not doing the NXL to make more money. Yeah. You know, I'm sure at the end of the year, they're happy if they don't. (laughs) Right. You know, they're, they're happy to not lose money. Yeah. And it's like the things you got to put up with. Um, Yeah. I'm, Obviously, I'm super pro on the NXL. I like Tom Cole. If uh, I really enjoyed the infamous live show the other day with him on it, I watched all that. Um, I felt like it cut out at the most like crucial parts, though. Like my internet was acting up that day, and it would like lag for me. I'm like, oh god damn it! Uh, but uh, I thought it was really interesting the things he was saying uh, about NXL Europe, where it's like it's not that NXL wants to cancel these events; it's that the countries are putting in such 
strict restrictions that people from Spain can't travel outside of Spain. They won't be allowed back in or they won't be allowed to leave. And it's like, obviously that's not so much the case here. I think unless you're in California where like Maddie Marshall was saying, people are being ticketed for going to the parks there. Um, even in Boston, people are being thrown out of parks. I'm hearing, uh, just a park I went to three weeks ago. Some of our friends went to this week and they were asked to leave. Uh, they weren't ticketed. So it's not as bad as California, but are you that still, is uh, sorry, I, oh, sorry. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, you no, said no the Europe thing and you, my mind immediately went there. I thought you're done. Um, so are you're still playing with Drugs? I wasn't planning on it so i am all die now before when i played with droogs i we were lux and smart parts or not smart parts but you know lux dlx uh virtue but we are now 100 die so i don't think so you sponsor- got sponsor conflicts yeah but i would like to try and play with another die team like a like anywhere from pro to d2 like i don't i don't care the european events are just so much fun <laughs> like i'll play d3 if they'll let me but uh it's it's just such a good time over there are you friends with Thomas Kim by chance at all? I he knows who I am. I wouldn't say we're friends, we're acquaintances. We're always friendly with each other, um, and we've played against each other a bunch. I really I like him. I was with him in Europe uh, last time I was there. Uh, definitely chat with him anytime I see him. But yeah, yeah. So I was I was to say you should have him link you up with the breakout spa guys. Um, okay, is that who he plays with? He did last year, um, and they're a die team. Um, I don't, he, from what he told me, I don't think he's playing with them this year. Um, I know Harrison Fry is playing with breakout spot too. Okay. So, um, wouldn't that be a sponsorship conflict? Cause you guys are, I, I am fully certain he is using his planet eclipse gun. Really? Um, that, so they might, it just depends on their relationship with die. You know, some of these teams have relationships with sponsors and, it's mostly due to how strong their field relationship is with the sponsor. So they get a lot more leeway as a team versus like, if you have your relationship with your sponsor, because you're this big name team, uh, you're going to be held to a lot higher standard. Um, Like the Ironman, like Thomas Kim. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, they're a factory team, so that's the highest standard you're ever going to be held to. Right. And then you have teams like, um, you know, an impact or heat, you know, those guys don't have home fields. Uh, so whatever deal they do with a sponsor, if it's a big, big deal, you know, that's based entirely around their marketing ability, you know, as a team, like how marketable is it to be tied to Houston heat? Right. Uh, what's their social presence like? So that's like a big thing with dynasty when it comes to dollars and cents is like, these guys are like the most present on the internet. So, you know, that you do a deal with dynasty because of that, like, when you do a deal with the Bay State Bandits or even maybe Columbus level, it's like you do a feel, a deal with that team because of, you know, level up and Dave Pando and that sort of thing. And for us, yeah. it was like you did a deal with the Bandits and Anthony Vitale and Jeff Stein and you got these fields as part of it. So like if you're a paint sponsor, that sort of thing. So like, you know, and that's how pro works. Like the top teams are sponsored because they're sweet. And the bottom teams are sponsored because they, uh, you know, play out of a field that they have a relationship with. And then yeah. the teams in the middle are kind of like in between. And it's like, how well do you market yourself? Can you get these top deals? Can you not? So, yeah, I mean, like Infamous is its own brand. You can buy Infamous head to toe gear, soft gear, upgrades for your gun, triggers, guns, like literally it's just full. And so our whole thing with that is like, and you have to be these days because we don't have a rich owner. Um, you know, we don't, 
have these resources that some of these other teams have and we're a team that has a reputation for winning and we want to win tournaments again and that's definitely the goal so you know we're a player owned team and we have player developed products and it's all you know us guys that run the team and sell the stuff and make the stuff and we're doing that to fund the team so i hope that people can buy into that you know i won't say that everything we've ever released has been 100% perfect but definitely we're trying to make top level gear for top level players and we love yeah. feedback and it's like we just want to be that brand that is made by pros for pros or for anybody but like good enough for the pros to you know so you know that's like that's definitely kind of what we're trying to be and so hope people can appreciate that i mean i appreciate it i, I love all your guys stuff you come out with the pro dna line um all your stuff looks sweet you know the sculcius too uh it's it's all good stuff so i i'm for it what i know you guys your- are with but if you ever need a pro DNA deal, you got my phone number. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, dude. Um, what's your take on so something like individual sponsorship? Because with paintball, we don't have anything like that. Whereas with NASCAR, you you know you have your whole NASCAR team, you like pick crew, your car, uh, but you pick up your own individual sponsors. Whereas paintball, it's like I have the same sponsors as every other individual on my team. Like I don't have individual sponsors that like oh these guys sponsor justin politi or brett messer like you can go to to brett to get he's wearing a different mask or his gun's a little different or like he's wearing different cleats do you think that's something that'll ever change or do you think it'll always be full team packages this team wears this and that's that's that um i think paintball will always be uh individual or sorry team-based i think it's more like uh the nfl kind of or or any other team sport where there's going to be uh sponsors of the organization you know if you wear nike uniforms you wear nike uniforms um i think there is a place for individual sponsorships you used to see it more in paintball in like the early 2000s because there was so many more companies so it's still kind of like that like you know you you have guys individually that have like a first form deal and that, you know, there being like a number of guys on Infamous that had a first form deal, like individually, that opened us up to get a first form deal done for the entire team. And so I think like, you know, one of the ones you used to see it with was like Contract Killer back in the day. Yeah. And so I think it's out there, but now you see it more with like non-paintball companies, like where guys will do a, a, a sponsorship with like a supplement company or an energy drink or, right. you know, grenades gum or like whatever deal they're going to do, you know. You so can, you'll see it but it's going to be like non-paintball and it's probably more right. tied to like social media influence than anything yeah if you go on greenspan's page he'll, he sells like sunglasses backpacks like he that guy sells everything he's sponsored by all kinds of different outdoor companies and stuff and uh i think that's pretty cool so i was just wondering if there's like a way to like you know integrate that into a team aspect but i understand why it's not that way um because of funding and you know it's a limited amount of money to go around so it makes sense but and it's one of those things with like the equipment you know with infamous like every single thing we use is is mandated by a sponsor or we use our own thing and we decided to make it and and do that and dynasty's done that too with their guns and stuff Uh, and i think that's that's a cool (laughs) move to become like a self-funded pro team is is really cool um but even like you guys like everything that you use is mandated by die so yeah. it's not like you could go out and get a deal with, you know, smart parts for a barrel. And like, you know, why would you want to? Yeah, the freak sweet, but the boomstick sweet. So like, why would you not want to just, you know, use a die barrel, make your sponsor happy. And so I think, yeah, I think paintball, you probably see team deals for a long time. And, 
and individual players, I think probably business-wise, probably want to just look to those non-paintball companies. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it's just something interesting I've been I've been thinking about because there are a lot of people. Uh, it's funny we were talking a little bit before this. You're saying there there were you know the um, God I'm blanking on his name yet. Uh, Mike Zap had the podcast for a long time and that kind of faded off. And so the reason I started this one is because I felt there was kind of a void in paintball podcasting because only Carl was doing it. Um, but now I have one. Carl's got his. Tyler Harmon I saw just started one. Oh, and no kidding. Yeah, yeah, I haven't listened to it yet. I was trying to find it on Spotify, but I think it's only on um, SoundCloud right now. Uh, and then the one I was telling you about earlier, uh, Overshot, that I was a guest on, they have a they have a good one going now too. And I think that's a product of this quarantine because um, people are like, "Shit, dude, I'm I'm bored. Like, I want to create something." And I don't know if you would call paintball a creative outlet, but it's an outlet where you can. I don't know, you can express yourself through creative play. You express yourself through like, you know, physical play because you're running, getting all your energy out and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's a hard game. Um, and when you don't have that outlet that you need, you're going to, if you're a driven person, which I would say most paintball players have to be some form of driven to get to the pro level because it takes like basically your whole life. Um, so I think some people are, they're starting things in this, in this downtime. Uh, I started mine a little before the quarantine. I think I started it once we learned we went pro, but I'm just seeing all these other ones pop up now. I'm like, it's, it's kind of cool how much uh, creativity is happening right now. And the ghost sports, Matty Marshall is doing a bunch of interviews. Um, I'm like halfway through the Tim Montrester one, which is actually really interesting. Uh, Tim's one of my guys, favorite paintball people, like hands down. If you haven't listened to the one on, um, I don't know why. I think I was listening. I was listening to it while I was working. So occasionally work things will pop up and I'll actually have to, you know, like work from home. Uh, <laughs> so I, I had to pause it and I just haven't had a chance to press play on it again. Um, but his, his really interesting talks about how he got an MBA and how he got into working for paintball. Um, and also tuning into your guys's Facebook page, the infamous page. Uh, so we totally got off on a tangent here, but the Tom Cole show. So he was saying that Virginia has an 80% chance of being canceled and that is like so far away that it's crazy to me that it's like man you're predicting that two months from now we still won't be able to have a gathering because of this and it's like will the next one be canceled like i've already had one wedding canceled this year um that i was supposed to go to we've had our flights refunded for that i have a bachelor party supposed to happen this year in moab utah but a lot of the national parks are closed so yeah like do i need to cancel that like i'm in the same boat my buddy's getting married in september and they already moved it to next june and i'm like wow like rescheduling september i know and i think that that is not a science-based decision like that is a hundred percent a fear-based decision like and then his bachelor party is in july and you know they're hitting me up three weeks ago like we're gonna cancel the bachelor party which i get that the wedding's not till next year like totally but Airbnb won't even do a refund yet because it's not like they're like, Hey, it's in July. Like we we're not canceling shit in July right now. Um, you know, airlines have been really flexible. They're like, we'll do anything for you guys. Which is cool. I mean, (laughs) I don't know what your preferred airline is. I'm big Delta guy. So I'm a JetBlue guy. They're based on Boston. JetBlue is nice. They just don't fly to that many airports. Like they're, I wouldn't consider them one of the major airlines. It's like, if you're from Boston, JetBlue is sweet. Yeah, they're like I would say they're between like a frontier and like a delta. They're like nice enough that it's not frontier of spirit, 
but it's oh, not no, JetBlue's like, nice as hell, honest. like quality, like nice. They just are a smaller airline, so they're like yeah. number of destinations is not as big. Yeah, they. I mean, they go to all the paintball ones, though. They go to Vegas. They go to Cleveland, which is where I go to practice, which I, and I drive to Columbus. Um, I don't think they went to Austin, Texas, so I'll have to check that. But they they went to Dallas, uh, Florida. So all the paintball ones they go everywhere to. Everywhere you need to go. Everywhere I need to go, right? Yeah. Oh, a really I'm- good friend of mine, uh, his his uh, fiance works for JetBlue. And so what, we went to Vegas on JetBlue together one time. And he like she upgraded him to like the JetBlue Mint like sweet oh, you know yeah. first class and yeah JetBlue is really nice really really nice so i like it because i have the JetBlue credit card and that gets you a free checked bag so that's my gear bag so i bring my carry-on for free and then my gear bag is also free so every flight is i save money just oh, by doing same, that dude. that's i'm like uh, amex and delta like through yeah yeah what i need to work out is i need to get a card that gets me into those lounges do you have the lounge access i i do i See, I, I need to get that yeah you just have to hang out with harrison fry and i for you know a very short period of time and <laughs> the savviness with the credit cards is just gonna be you can't you can't escape it yeah yeah it's uh it's smart so what you can do is you know you can open up travel cards also this this is I'm going to asterisk this financial advice, but this is what I do for travel. So I'll open up a credit card. If it's a travel card, I'll hit the whatever the required spend is. And then you get all those points. You can use those points. It's usually you don't have to pay a fee for the year. Um, and then you can cancel that card after a year. So you don't pay a fee on it. You get the whole bonus. It's money you're going to spend anyway. Um, don't go out of your way to spend extra money to like hit the points. but And then you can fly for free. Essentially, there's multiple travel cards you can do that with. Oh, there's a ton. Oh, dude, I'm such a credit card nerd. Like, I won't even get into it because I could talk about this for an hour. But it's that is a very good strategy. So I will say the one thing with your with your credit score is the more inquiries you have in your credit in a year, if you go over kind of like the five range per year, you're going to see a little bit of penalty in your credit score. And a big factor in your credit score is length of credit. So Um, you want to have like your average credit accounts you want to have open for 10 years or more. That's how you get to like the max credit score. So like you really want to find some credit cards with low or no fees and leave them open forever and and get the balance as high as they're willing to give it to you. That way, when you do use the credit card a little bit, it, it, you, it reports. So say you've got a thousand dollar balance, but it's a ten thousand dollar credit card you've got 10% utilization. You That's like another metric. You know, you really want to be in single digit usage on your credit card. So yeah, yeah like know, the limit, you want a high limit to spend ratio. Exactly. You want to be under 10%. If you're talking like, if you want to have a 750 plus credit score, you know, you need to have no late payments, but that everyone knows that, you know, but then you want to be under 10% utilization. You want to have your accounts open as long as possible. You want to not have inquiries on your credit all the time. So, but that, yes, no, totally dude. Um, Capital one venture is one of my favorite credit cards. So it's not tied to an airline. So you don't get those kind of benefits, but it's 2% back in travel rewards on every dollar you spend. So if you're one of those people that has like work expenses that your company reimburses and you can get a credit card and just put them all on there. So you get the extra points really good. Um, For me, I have tons of business expenses between my dispensary, you know, cannabis business and my smoke shop business. Um, you know, I have different credit cards for everyone. So, you know, I have the new uh, Amex Delta Reserve card with oh, nice. uh, for my cannabis business. And it, every $30,000 you spend on the card, you get 15,000 um, medallion qualification miles. 
So uh, I have two different Delta Amex cards, and I've already got thirty five thousand qualification miles like Damn. this <laughs> this year off them. That's a lot of cannabis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's all. Yeah. It's all the like you know need this piece of equipment or this kind of thing. Um, but it, it's sweet because I'm going to hit platinum medallion this year. Oh, hell yeah. I was yeah. on track to hit mosaic. It's a mosaic with jet blue. So the, I have the jet blue card. I have a chase Sapphire card and then, uh, just my bank credit card. Um, and I was on track for the mosaic cause I'm flying so much cause of paintball and now I'm no longer on track. So there goes my premium boarding. So what, uh, I, I know Delta's doing this. Uh, they haven't really done it yet, but um, if you, they're, they're looking at like all this time that people aren't flying and they're looking at making mileage adjustments. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to try and look into that. It'll, um, it's going to work out good for me because I traveled a lot the first three months of the year. So if they were like, Hey, we're just yeah, going to double Vegas. that number for you, you know, like, oh, that'd be sick. Yeah. So um, the, oh God. Uh, I was going to say, that's what Delta sent an email out. Like, Hey, we know everybody's really concerned about status. Like it, it does matter to people. Cause like you said, having like free bags and priority boarding and you know, these features that like, I don't book with any airline other than Delta. Cause like I'll pay an extra hundred, $150 to fly on Delta. Cause I get upgraded to first class for free every time I fly. So why would yeah. I not, you know, why would I not spend a little extra money and fly with Delta free bags, free first class, like, why not? Yeah, hundred percent. It's like it's you know the customer loyalty. You keep coming back to the same airline; they're going to treat you right. Um, what your what is have... your cannabis business? You said so. You have the smoke shop, and then the cannabis is like a dispensary. Yeah, so I've been in the cannabis business since 2012, and um, you know started small. It's really like a cool, um, you know, one day it'll be like one of those stories like Apple. I think where you like start in a garage because I literally did, but. Um, you know, I started small, just kind of like, I mean, my first grow was just in like a closet, just like anybody. Um, but I just kind of always reinvested my money. And, um, so after my first like year and a half, I got a warehouse and built the grow in there. I did that for, you know, four years or so. And then I got another warehouse and that one's going to grow and a lab and a store. So that was my first dispensary. Um, and currently I've got a couple of new dispensaries under construction and I've got uh, a hydrocarbon extraction lab under construction. So I got a lot of like uh, everything that I've reinvested over the last seven or eight years is I've built a lot of momentum and, um, you know, really starting to like see the progress and, and um, just like, you know, it, it's, it's really all starting to come together. So got like uh, 26 employees doing, you know, doing well. We're just, it, it's fun. Like, definitely kind of living out a lot of my dreams and get to work on fun projects and work with my friends and yeah, know, hire awesome. my friends. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, is, so is weed totally legal in Maine? Yeah. Yeah. It's been medically legal since 99. Um, since they 99. Their, yeah. One of the first Damn. states in the country. Yeah. Oh, some real hippies. I know it's hippie out there, but that's, Next level. <laughs> um, so like in, in terms of the medical marijuana, like you're thinking of though, where there's like dispensaries and it's like more of a thing that was 2009, they like amended the law. Okay. Um, and it became more of like what you know today. So I got out of college in 2012 and I had invested some money with a friend of mine. You probably know Sean Wyatt also knew, yeah. a long teammate of mine. So he is in the cannabis business and I invested some money with him and because he was in cannabis and he was growing his business. And 
then he paid me back the investment that I made with some interest. And so I was like, oh, I think I'm going to get into this business. So, um, you know, I always was kind of messing around with cannabis in, uh, you know, coming up teenager and stuff. So yeah. it was pretty natural, something I was always really fascinated with. I had tried to grow and fail a couple of times, you know. And so it was like, it was just the right time where I was graduating college. The job market was really shit in 2012. So I was like, I'm just going to start this up. And I was doing this accounting job at the same time. And uh, about 15 months after I started, I was able to quit working for other people and just work for myself full time. That's awesome. Been, That's honestly the dream. Definitely, dude. Like I, you know, I make my own schedule and, you know, I couldn't be, I, I work more than I should. Honestly, it's probably to my detriment that I make my own schedule, but um, I just love <laughs> I mean, you I wouldn't do. be an entrepreneur if you didn't work more than you should. Definitely. You know, my wife hates it and I, you know, I always try to be respectful of her opinion on it, but um, it's hard to turn it off because I just love it. Like, I don't look at it like work. I don't, you know, I worked from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. today and it didn't feel like a 12 hour day. You know, like right. I just loved every minute of it. And, you know, I love the people I work with and I love working on, you know, interesting things. And cannabis has always been a passion of mine. And so it's like, you know, I got to pinch myself sometimes to be like, hey, this is like, you know, so. Yeah, dude, that's, I mean, that's awesome that you're, that you're out there doing it like that. Um, so I guess in Maine right now, uh, I remember I was, I read one of your posts that like people were vacationing in Maine and, uh, a lot of locals didn't like that. So like I was, um, I don't know if that's exactly, I think I'm mixing two things here. My friend used to live in Maine and I was asking her for some recommendations to go hiking because I was trying to get outside because we've been inside for so long. And she said that locals don't like it too much when people are coming up here. And I think maybe you were talking about people on spring break up there um, and like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, oh, our schools told us to come here because there's less people. But then they're bringing the coronavirus into Maine. Um, so I, I think that was somebody that commented on a post I made, actually. Okay. And it was like, yeah. And it's yeah. Coronavirus is, you know, I could probably. I could do a whole like a podcast series on my feelings on that because <laughs> I'm I'm very conflicted. Like, it's funny because when it first started, like I was one of the first people that was telling people like, this is a serious issue because, you know, I do business in China. Um, Travis Lemansky, the owner of Infamous, he does a lot of business in China. And like a couple of weeks before Vegas in February, you know, we're starting to get ready for practice and stuff. And he was telling the team like, yo, everybody over there is saying like coronavirus is a real issue. Um, so like I had actually gone on in February and ordered like respirator masks, like medical grade and uh, N95 masks on eBay. And I paid probably double what they normally cost, but they were they were still available at that time. Yeah. And but like it very quickly became this like hype fear like media machine where like everybody was just instantly so afraid of like dying and like the science just does not back up that position of like the entire world is at risk of dying if we don't lock ourselves down in our homes and you know i definitely some of my opinions about the way the government is in our country certainly would put me in like the tinfoil hat category like don't get me wrong <laughs> i i don't have a lot of trust for the government um, but I does think, anyone like, right now? I literally I was reading on Google the other day two articles next to each other, front page of Google, both saying different things. One said deaths in Massachusetts all time high. 
the one next to it said um, Massachusetts over the bell curve, things look better. It's like, which is it? Are we all time high or are things looking better? These are two news sources, both reputable, you know, air quotes, um, no political skewing. I've read both articles. I'm like, okay, this isn't really about politics. They're just having numbers in them, but like, which is accurate. So it's like, I think there's just a lot of misinformation. So like even today, like Trump says something about, are we looking into this possibly? And then in the morning, it's like, this is what this it's craziness. Everything's blown out. Well, of proportion. It's the social media world we live in where somebody takes what their friend said as, as fact without even so much as looking into it for themselves. And I think we really have a large populace that doesn't care to critically think like I might say something about, you know, coronavirus or, or COVID on, on a Facebook status and you read it and you're like, Oh, that's interesting what he thinks. But then you actually go and open Google and try to look into it yourself and have your own thoughts about it versus, you know, some people they hear and see one thing and, Honestly, I mean, these days, like you said, with the air quotes on the news source, like, you know, it's not like any news source, major news source is reliable, you know, CNN. Yeah, that's Fox, how I feel. Like, <laughs> it, it, they're not, you know, your friends. It's crazy. I, I would believe uh, your Facebook status just as much as I would believe Fox News or CNN, you know, like they're both like right wing, left wing. They're all, you know, they're it's it, it's completely controlled by like a corporate machine that has nothing to do with, you know, politics is like this whole two-sided thing where nothing is serving the people of the United States. It's just like serving their side, whether it's politically motivated or it's, it's rooted in like a, a religious belief or it's a corporate thing or it's a money thing, like whatever. It's just like there's two sides and nobody cares about like the 350 million people living in the center. You know, it's just like, so Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, again, I think coronavirus is like this massive overreaction and, um, people are going to pay the price for it economically and, and like for a really long time. And, you know, I was probably early, one of the early people to be like, Hey, you know, I get that we're kind of going to shut everything down. I mean, at first it was like going to be this two week thing because that was the whole thing. It was like, it takes two weeks to show symptoms. So yeah. if we shut everything down for two weeks, we can see who's infected and then go from there. Well, all of a sudden it was like, well, we didn't do tight enough restrictions. Now we have to shut everything down for another month. And it's like, no, what we need is actual test kits. And we need to like maybe increase restrictions in areas where it's an issue. But like Maine is Maine might have like the lowest number of cases nationwide. I haven't looked into that. So you could have to fact check it. I'm sure like Idaho and shit is up there too. But like I talked to Cody McCuskey on the phone this morning. He said there's like 5,000 cases in Wisconsin. We don't even have a thousand in Maine. So like people that are living in New York city should not even be considering policymaking in Maine because it's, I mean, our population density is not even like on the same planet barely, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. So that's a big thing. And that's why I've felt the way I have about Maine is like the best thing we could do for Maine is like, let's shut down the border. Let's not allow out of staters and Canadians into Maine for a month or two, you know, not forever, not whatever, but it, you know, shutting down business in Maine, like tourism is a huge thing. And like all of our tourism businesses in Maine should be starting to open right now. And they're not. And it's not just going to be a matter of all these governors say, okay, you guys can reopen your businesses. Like there's going to be a massive consumer confidence issue. Like we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, people, there's going to still be a large number of people that 
buy right into what they see on TV. If it's on TV, it's got to be real, right? So, you know, they see that fear-driven media attention and the stuff they see on Facebook and their friends are saying, and, you know, all that wraps them up into this, just like, there's going to be people not visiting businesses just to limit their social interaction for many months to come. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just, um, just last weekend, I went to a store and they wouldn't let me in without a mask. Uh, they're like, yeah, you can't come in. It was a small family owned liquor store. So I actually, uh, I grabbed a $7 mask from weapons in Todd Martinez. So now I have my Raza mask so I can go to the store, but it's like people in, um, in mass, that's like, you get dirty looks if you don't have a mask on. It's like, I don't even know this Raza mask personally. I don't know. It feels cool. It looks cool. How much is it really protecting me? I don't know. Um, you can definitely put filters in it. I haven't done that. So maybe that's my own issue. But, I saw um, the funniest meme about that. That's like, if a pair of underwear and jeans can't stop a, a fart from smelling, how is a mask made of cloth going to stop coronavirus from entering? Yeah. <laughs> Which, I, that made me laugh. I got to say. Yeah. Uh, so just real quick. So Maine is in the bottom seven. So it goes Maine, Vermont, North Dakota, Hawaii, Montana, Wyoming, Alaska. Those are the bottom seven in cases. Okay. Um, and then New Hampshire is uh, goes West Virginia and New Hampshire are just above Maine. Um, but even even with the news, so a lot of people, myself included, get their news from social media. So I Google everything I find on social media. I'm like, all right, there's no because news is so crazy nowadays. I'm like, there's no way that could possibly be true. So let me Google that and read about it and see if it's true. I don't think a lot of people do that. But the problem I have right now is when I'm Googling things, the you know reliable news sources are saying different things. So I'm like, all right, so I'm seeing something on Instagram. It's like, is that true? Maybe. Let's take a look. And then it's like, well, how am I supposed to know? Because <laughs> they're all saying different, different well, shit. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a huge thing um, is what is a reliable news source now? You know, when, when I was just finishing up college and um, – you know, like Vice was the big news outlet that you could like trust, you know, they were reporting on like the sensitive issues. They were reporting on like the war in Iraq and they weren't afraid to say things. And like, I'm probably a little more conservative than Vice is in terms of like my political views. Like maybe they're a little more liberal, but I could always appreciate that they were reporting on like real issues around the world, not just in our country. And they've kind of gone away a little bit. I don't know if they like sold the company or what, but I, I don't, I just don't see that much from vice anymore. Um, but that, you know, yeah, that might be a different era. Cause I've never, I would not consider that, um, a news source personally that I've ever looked to, but maybe that I, I just know. didn't. You yeah. Know. Like five years ago, dude, or maybe I guess it was like seven years. Like they were just crushing it. They had an HBO special once a week, like an hour long yeah. news episode. They were just crushing it. Yeah. And now like but but totally like who are the reliable news sources you can't rely on fox or cnn like it's almost become a joke yeah oh yeah and it's every day i wake up and trump has said something new or people have twisted what he said something new or he says something along the lines of something crazy and every day there's a new meme and a new quote and i'm like is this and fox is supporting it and cnn's blowing it out of proportion and it's like Okay, well, what did he actually say? Like, what's the quote? You know, why is I don't want to hear like your interpretation of it. Yeah. Like, news is news. It's like you're supposed to report that stuff objectively, not give your spin on it. And that's, I think, what we get now. Yeah. Oh, that's 100% what we get now. Um, and I don't know. Facebook, I had been off Facebook for a long time before um, 
we became pro. And then I'm like, all right, I got to reactivate this because that's where all the paintball people are on Facebook. Uh, at least what I've found. And as a pro player now, I want to kind of try and promote my own brand. It was kind of like what I'm doing with this podcast, what, what like Marcella does, what Greenspan does, what Infamous does. Um, so I got back on Facebook and I very quickly realized why I got off Facebook in the first place. It's because there are so many people in echo chambers and just yelling at each other in comment sections and, oh, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. It's like this source, that source. It's like everyone is very angry, I felt. And I was like, all right, this is why I got off here in the first place. But I, I'm attached to this machine that is Facebook now because this is where the paintball buy sell trade is. Like I've made, you know, over 200 bucks recently selling gear in all, all my, you know, old jerseys and stuff. So like, this is a platform that's useful to me, but it can also be harmful if you're not careful, careful with it. If you spend too much time on it, if you believe every single thing you read, like these things can be harmful to you. So I think people need to really be more mindful of what they're consuming on social media. And I don't know if everyone's doing that per se. My wife is always really big on like pushing me to be more mindful of that because it is it's like the things you put in your body uh, do affect who you are, who you are as a person. And, you know, you're reading these things and you might disagree with them, but maybe that's like filling you with hate. And you do have to be really conscious of these things that you choose to follow and, and absorb into your life. And yeah, social media can certainly be a negative place for whatever reason. It just seems like people love to to spew that negative and paintball is no exception, man. Like there's just people just love to be haters and trolls and it's like no one wants to like build each other up and you know like see the good in people it's like everybody always looking to break each other down yeah it's uh it's actually interesting you say that about the trolling so we had dinner with tom cole before the first day of the nxl so like on thursday night we uh we went to dinner with him and we got to ask him it was cool so i like to ask difficult questions to people, I guess, um, especially revolving the NXL, because this is something I'm very passionate about. I want to know as much as I possibly can about why things are the way they are. So Tom Cole was sitting down at our end of the table and he asked us, he said, why do people have a negative impression of the NXL? Like, why do people hate us? And one of my teammates, Tyler, who's my last guest said, I don't think people hate you. I think it's a loud vocal minority. Um, and I would say that's probably true. The only people that hate the NXL are people that are either going 04 or are not even playing the NXL. A lot of people that I see hating on the NXL are people that just played the regional events that aren't even participating. Right. They're just there. I, I was just talking about something that, that today. It's like when you're a hater of something just because you're on the outside, that's like a really silly position to take. Like yeah. that's actually just jealousy. It's not even hate. You know, it's like it's like being poor and hating somebody that's rich which yeah. you see a lot of that. And oh, yeah. so like, yeah, if you're a regional player and you're hating on the NXL, like, Oh, it's so expensive or it's this or it's that. Like I was a, a customer of the NXL for, as a divisional player for a very long time. And I was usually a pretty happy customer when I won and when I lost, like if you lose and you're going to blame it on the refs and that's the NXL's fault, like, and that's the whole reason you hate them. Like, you know, they have a really hard job to do. And, and Tom oh, yeah. runs, runs a very good organization. And there's a lot of successes that they have and a lot that they do do for paintball. So I agree with you, man. Like they, they take it on the chin from a very small number of people, the Damian Ryans, the, you know, the loud ass people on Facebook. And I think a lot of it is baseless. Like they would like to see a lot of the same improvements and people don't realize like just cost on things. Like 
you know, if you're going to take a spool of steel cable to hang a piece of netting, like people don't consider anything. You know, I, as a business owner, I walk around those venues and I look at fencing and I look at this and I look at that. And I'm like, wow, like what it must cost to put this whole thing together for two weeks. Like, you know, and to, to set it up and break it down and do the whole thing in two weeks. Like people just don't even, it's like, well, well, entry is $2,700 and we don't get dick for a prize. It's like, well, did you think about the economics of doing that event as more of a service than like a gambling thing where you're putting in this money to win this big sum of money? Like it's more about putting on a sporting event than putting on a place for you to go win money. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I don't think a lot of people see it that way. Um, another interesting thing Tom said, so people hate, uh, on the fact that there's 20 pro teams cause it's like, it's not competitive, but Tom's like, I had to make it 20 pro teams and I'm, I'm going to say everything with air quotes. So like I might miss a quote from Tom Cole here directly, but he said something along the lines of, I had to make it 20 pro teams so that the pro league would fund itself because in the past, you know, the divisionals would fund the pro league, but that's not a sustainable business model. So by growing the pros to 20 teams, now it can sustain itself. It pays for its own field. You know, it pays for the, everything that has so to happen there. My opinion on that is I, I fundamentally, from a business standpoint, disagree that the pro division should be losing money. Um, you know, a lot of the marketing dollars around paintball are generated because of that division. But that aside, like the entry, the pro teams pay the highest entry fee. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so 3000 bucks, you know, you got $60,000 between 20 pro teams, call it 48 grand back when it was 16, but I don't, I, I'm not in the camp that thinks we should have, you know, I don't, I don't like 20 pro teams only because it puts such a strain on the schedule. I don't like world cup having to be four days instead of three for pro teams and that sort of stuff. But I get it. Like you feel like you need another 12 grand in entry fees to make it a a break even proposition. Then sure do it because there's been plenty of pro teams like level and these other pro, you know, entry pro teams that do really well that, you know, have proven that, you know, more teams can hang around in the pro division. Um, but I, I just think it shouldn't cost $48,000 to run that division, you know, yeah. with, with cost to set up the field with referees and then prizes, like in my mind, it shouldn't, it just shouldn't cost that much or they're, they're maybe not doing something right there, but those are like the little things that people get caught up in that lead them to think that the NXL is screwing everybody over. Like if Tom says, Hey, we got to go to 20 pro teams to make this like a financially viable model. Like that's, I'm sure he's run the numbers and I'm sure Bart's run the numbers and, and Randy's run the numbers. Like I, I trust them to make that decision because I'm not willing to put, you know, to set my business aside, to run a paintball league, to prove them wrong. I I mean, (laughs) I've I've certainly run the numbers like a a little bit. And I know that they're not like the NXL is not so far off that it's like, you're just going to swoop right in and take, take over national paintball because you've figured it out yeah yeah 100 percent. and it's like i think people think that the people that run the nxl don't need to be paid it's like it's not a charity you know right um, yeah jason up trojan these, camille levinsky yeah. like these these like full-time support staff that are with the nxl year-round like they have families they have you know they work on the league full-time like you might not be thinking about nxl tournaments between the nxl but you better believe they're thinking about nxl tournaments full-time throughout the year 
Yeah, it doesn't take one phone call to book a venue. Like sometimes with the recurring ones, okay, yeah, that's maybe a contract for years out. But like to set up a new venue in Texas, that takes a lot of effort. Like you have to go to these locations, scout them out. You have to make a bunch of phone calls. You have to get a lot of permitting. Oh, so much. I, I've chatted with Camille about it because I I mean, Texas is one of those things that I, I've been really pushing you know, Tom, Camille, and anybody that, that I talk to, like, we need to get the hell out of Dallas in May. Yeah. Like, if we could do, let's do anything other than that, you know? And they, it's, it's a big deal to find a tournament for that many people. You need airports close by and you need hotels and you need, you know, 30 acres of land and you need, you know, there's so many parameters to make this event happen. There's like, it's not as easy as people think. They're like, oh, well, I, I put my, I booked my wedding. Like, I, yeah, I could do an XL tournament. Yeah, it's funny. So Tom at the uh, at the dinner was talking about he goes to a like a sporting event convention and he was talking with some people that run a softball tournament and they uh, have thousands of people come to this event. And he's like, oh, man, that, that's kind of what I have. How many staff do you have? And they said, we have two people in the city supplies all the umpires. And he's like, well, shit, I have to fly in all my referees or, you know, I have to pay them. I have to do their lodging like it's. I can't run it that way. Um, the city isn't supplying me paintball referees. Uh, and actually, I worked for Kenny Shell uh, for a while. He runs Asylum. He used to own the MSXL. He's a very successful entrepreneur. He has several businesses. And I would help set up the MSXL. And this was only three fields. And it was miserable to set up one of these events. And all the fields went up in a row, kind of like the divisional field. So there's four in a row, except there's eight of them. This was only three. And I was like, dude, to set this up double plus vendors plus a separate pro field, that would suck so bad. Like all the ratchet oh, straps. Dude, and like, we oh, had to run. run. We had to ref uh, NEPL when we were on the bandits as part of our sponsorship deal. Uh, I've ref that for, uh, for Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it sucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just all day. You know, you're start at 8 a.m. You're still going at 5 p.m. And, you know. It's like, even if you get paid decent, which for refing, I'd say like entry level decent, like 150, which that's what the NXL starts people at, you know? Yeah. And some people think, oh, well, the refs must be paid such a shitty amount of money if, you know, if they suck so bad. Well, they don't suck that bad. Like you probably suck at paintball that bad. Um, yeah. But, you know, the refs start at 150 and then they go up with experience. So I think when they ref their third tournament, they go to like 175 and then, you know, they ref like a season and they're at 200. So, you know, it's funny you met, you bring that up. Tom Cole actually mentioned that they're having a problem with that because a lot of it's a it's not a bad problem, but it's like a catch twenty two. It's like so they are having a lot of the same refs come back. So because of their structure, they're having to pay them more and more, which you know eats into the overall budget. Um, and he was asking these refs like, why do you guys come back to these events every year? And they're like, oh, we do it to hang out with our friends. And thinking in semi pro last year, um, obviously I'm new to the pro field. I only know like two of the pro refs. One works at Boston Paintball. One's from Ohio. Uh, so the, the semi-pro field, it was a lot of the same guys over and over. So you kind of get to know them. And they said, we just do this to hang out with our friends. It's the same crew. Um, and he said back in the PSP days, that wasn't the case. People would arrive at one event and they'd be like, fuck this, I'm out. And they would never come back. So you'd never have to pay them more. You'd never have to worry about raises. But now he's having to give referees you know, more and more money and to, to retain them because that's the agreement they set up. And then come around World Cup where they have way more fields and 10-man and three-man and mounds. He's like, then we are scrambling for referees. Um, and I know just from working in divisional paintball that people still reach out to me to come ref events. And I'm like, 
maybe like used to like when I was in college, hell yeah, I'll ref that event. Now I'm like, ah, man, I would have to have a free weekend. It would have to be convenient. It'd have to be close. Like my girlfriend would have to sign off on it. Cause I'm already doing paintball a majority of the time. Like there's a lot of things that go into it to find referees for regional events. So to, I don't know. I, I feel for him in that sense of staffing quality refing. And I also feel for the players because I've been knocked out of tournaments on bad calls. You know, it shouldn't come to that, but I've felt both sides of it. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's a tough blind or eyed, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I always grew up playing traditional sports. So, you know, the motto always was like, the refs are never going to screw you out of winning a game. Like you need to play well enough that the refs can't be a factor. You know, the game shouldn't be so close that the refs are a factor. And so I've always carried that motto into paintball and I've always told my teammates that. And yes, every, if you play paintball long enough, you've been knocked out of a tournament because of a bad call because at the end of the day on Sunday, paintball is decided by inches. And it only takes one red flag or even a yellow flag to derail your whole tournament. It only takes one point when you're in division two, division one, that division's so tight. It actually loosens back up in pro it speeds up a lot, but how tight everybody plays in semi-pro like it would be, it wouldn't be good for your paintball game to skip over playing semi-pro because that division is so tight and everything's down to the wire and every snapshot you make is important. And like, you know, yeah, you can lose a tournament because of a bad call, but like, if you blame losing tournaments on the ref, like you probably just suck at paintball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, happens to everybody. And that's what if people you don't understand. If you're and it's the ref's fault, you 100% yeah, no. suck at paintball. You and your whole team. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. Oh, man. Well, we have just knocked out an hour and like 10 minutes. Hell yeah, dude. Well, I appreciate you asking me to come on. I, this was really cool. And, you know, I probably, we probably only scratched the surface on some of the stuff we were thinking about talking about so i have to do this again in the future yeah we definitely can um yeah the reason i wanted to get you on is because i know you're you know a small business owner you're obviously um you know a great paintball player uh i think you got kind of a cool story and you have a unique perspective on what's happening right now in the world um but is i guess anyone you want to thank um shout out sponsors anything like that definitely um a hundred percent all of my sponsors uh infamous organization travis lemansky uh all my teammates over there and uh you know i will kind of bore you and and list all my sponsors specifically so please do thank, please thank do. you uh pro Shar, planet eclipse bunker kings virtue foundation push paintball nike first form powerhouse and destroyer lifestyle which is a local new england clothing brand uh, that my buddy tuan runs so yeah Dude, thank you to you all go. those guys you are that player that's individually sponsored. That's you. We were talking about that earlier. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I and I love like he's trying to get his hustle going, and I love supporting his dreams. And I was his first sponsor guy, and that means a lot to me. So hope he's listening. Shout out Tuan, um, cool clothes. So and it's nice because when he first brought it to me, we were sponsored by HK, so I kind of had a clothing sponsor. So now that you know, we just kind of do the infamous stuff, and then I do that with him. So it's cool. Hell yeah, man. All right. Well, uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Thanks.